Coming up, a Sad Styles production. Hey everyone, this is Mikey, host of the Sign Off Podcast. With a quick note before we get this week's episode started, this is one more classic re-release taken from the summer of 2021. This one's actually from August 5th, episode number 20. It was a episode where we decided to do something a little bit different. At this point in time in the podcast, my dad and I, uh, Brian Aaron, with president of Framework Sports Marketing, if you weren't familiar, uh, had been talking a lot about the industry, giving a lot of ins and outs, having a lot of guests on, but we really hadn't spent enough time focusing on some of the lighter sides of work working in an industry like this for as long as we have. So we wanted to put this episode out there and share some of the funniest stories, be it from signings, from trade shows, from working with some of the athletes, from working with some of the teams. My dad comes to the table with quite a few of these stories, but there's plenty of conversation to go around. I did want to mention that as we continue these summer months where we are doing a lot of these classic re-releases, we do have at least one more major episode coming up fairly soon. So make sure to remain subscribed to keep us in your feed and to keep checking back because in a couple weeks, we've got some pretty big news and a pretty big episode coming up. So if you want to be featured on that one and you want to ask a question, feel free to do so. You can email us signoffpod at framework.com or reach out to us on any of the social media channels. But the best way to get in touch is through signoffpod at framework.com. Plus, make sure to leave us a rating and review and we may read it at the top of the show. But that's about it for housekeeping up top. You guys know the drill. Sit back, relax, and enjoy an episode from the early goings of the Sign Off Podcast. We'll see you you guys on the other side. Hello and welcome. My name is Mikey Aaronworth signing on to the sign off a Frameworth podcast for yet another week. And I'm joined this week with uh, just one man, one very special man. My sidekick is what you know him as. It is Brian Aaronworth, the president of Frameworth Sports Marketing, joining me in studio for an episode that I'm kind of looking forward to because we've been pretty serious about uh, what it means to be involved in sports memorabilia and the world of sports marketing. A lot of our guests have, have shared similar stories about their, uh, their uh, interests and expeditions and what got them into it and this and that. But one thing we found is that a lot of our guests are fairly uh, keen on telling funny stories because it turns out that being involved in this world has a lot to do with just being friends and friendly with the people who you would think uh, may otherwise not have a sense of humor like the athletes and and the, uh, the people in charge of the players associations and things like that. You end up at a lot of Uh, parties and events that get you mingling with these people and you get to see them in a very human way. And uh, dad, uh, Brian Aaronworth, if I didn't mention that, the uh, one of the experiences that that you have learned uh, about in in this industry is is going to these sorts of events and becoming friends with people who you once looked up to, right? And seeing them in this different light. And it turns out that when you get behind closed doors with these people, very often, they are uh, more funny than most of the people that you know in your day-to-day life. Do you have any reasons why that might be? Why Why do hockey players, for example, have such a sense of humor, uh, more so than uh, than most people in your life, like your uh, friends and family? And we'll name them by name in a little bit. <laughs> well, you know what? It's, it's the culture that they grow up in. You know, they spend so much time on the road together, and it all starts with the pranks, and the punking people and punking, ooh, and, and Ashton Kutcher throwing that. I like go. that, yeah. Uh, and and then you know it just develops, and and they get a kick out of it, and so they try and one up themselves. Then they like to hang out with people like our former guests, uh, Jimmy Jerome or right. Brad Jansen, right. who are funny in their own right and keep them laughing, and so. All of that comes to, because it's a serious business. I mean, they're on the ice, it's serious, serious, and then they get off the ice and they want a break. It's the only way to let loose. Now, you mentioned there Brad Jansen and Jimmy Jerome, and there are two things I want to bring up conveniently that have to do with those two people. Now, one is Jimmy Jerome. We had him on the podcast last week, uh, notoriously one of our most well-received episodes. Jimmy Jerome, a broadcaster and podcaster in his own right, a very, very funny human being, told a ton of stories last week on the episode, on the podcast. If you haven't gone back and listened to that, Feel free to do so. It's available on YouTube. It's available on all your podcasts. I'm not sure where you're listening or watching this. Now, that's the Jim Jerome side of things. The other person you mentioned, a friend of the show, Brad Jansen, who's been on this twice as well. Also some great episodes in his own right. Now, uh, you have told me some stories relating to Brad Jansen. uh, And one of the reasons why he's seen so much success in his career when it comes to dealing with players, athletes, teams, etc., is because they're also willing and excited to have him around them when they're in the locker room or at a business meeting, et cetera, et cetera. He really lightens the mood. Right. You've had some of these specific experiences with him. Do you have any that come to mind that may... <laughs> well, you gave me, what, 
20 minutes to think of some stories. Well, said, we I think the topics today should be funny stories. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Uh, <laughs> yes, sometimes we fly by the seat of our pants here. No, no, that's what, we've got so much to talk about. You can give me any topic and we can talk you're, forever. You're, you're such a gifted orator. I just yeah, assumed that right. you'd be able to, uh, to pick it up. after my son. So, <laughs> um, no, but so in, in five minutes, I, I came up with, I think, a few interesting, funny stories that, that uh, you know, started with, you know, maybe Brad um, and our friendship, which has grown. And, and the reason the reason why you're doing that is because what we wanted to do, as we as we mentioned, we spent a lot of time talking about the serious side of sports marketing. Right. We're going to start this series of episodes where we're talking about specific funny stories that you found yourself in. And this is going to be the first of those episodes. So uh, without further ado, you had mentioned Brad Jansen. Well, kind Brad, of drawing you Brad in. is hilarious. And I think that we we were down in Salt Lake City to watch the Olympics. And this is when like, I, I started traveling everywhere to follow the guys that we we're working with in that. And he had introduced me to Wayne. So Wayne was a uh, manager GM for the team at the time. So right. we're all in Salt Lake city together and you know, you're going to have some fun, like put yourself in the right place and shit's going to happen. Sure. Right? So one night um, prior to one of the games or a few nights before the game. So we're out in a bar. I think we had a couple of players. I don't remember exactly who. Because Brad always had an entourage of players with him that want to hang here's out. Here's the funny thing about Brad Jansen that we should say is while most people who are in a situation like that will seek the players out, the players will seek out right. Brad Jansen because right. they know he's going to. What's up uh, tonight? Where are you going? Exactly. We're yeah. going to have some fun. So it was an off day for the players. And we had a couple of, uh, I think Tom Bitov was there. Uh, a couple of player reps from, uh, from Nike. Mm-hmm. I think they were sponsoring the thing at that time. I believe they uh, did the they, jerseys that year, right? The, yeah, I think Vidi Gomes from uh, who ended up in Nike Golf, but he was with them. So we're all there just having a few pops. Yeah, yeah. The, the bar that we were in was so jammed up, there were no tables and no room at the bar. So we found a place in a hallway, or not a hallway, but in the middle of the bar, which was at the bottom of a stair, a set of stairs that came down from the second floor, right. which was also jammed. And the stairs came down about halfway had a platform, and then they went 90 degrees to the rest of the way. And we're standing right in front of that 90-degree turn, which is about eye height. Okay. So we're having a few drinks, and it got kind of crazy. And Brad says, want to see something funny? And we what are you talking about? He said, who's got a shoelace? Because half of us were wearing loafers. <laughs> okay, of course. Right? So one guy has a shoelace. I think I did. I'm not giving it to Brad because I know I'm never going to end up with it back and I'm going to walk around without a shoelace. But another guy was stupid enough to give it to him. So he gives him a shoelace and he goes to the bar and he gets a piece of tape. Right. He says, who's got a dollar bill? So I give him a dollar bill because I can afford that. (laughs) And he puts the tape to the dollar bill and the shoelace. And for about a half an hour after, he had us in stitches howling because what he did was he hid below the stairwell with a long shoelace and a dollar bill on the platform. And every time somebody walked down the stairs, they'd see the dollar bill. Of course. And then as soon as he knew that they were going to reach down and pick it up, he would pull it away. (laughs) And the person looked so stupid. And embarrassed. And embarrassed that they would reach down to get this dollar bill. Who's not going to pick up a dollar bill? Now imagine the icing on the cake in that story is imagine you're embarrassed. You hear a a room full of people laughing at you because the crowd is is starting to surround you guys knowing that another person's going to come down. And you look and there are players from Team Canada laughing at you for bending over trying to get a $1 bill. I don't know whether they recognized them or not. Most likely they did because it was like one of those bars that we all hang out in. And uh, so I, I go... You know what? We just were in stitches the whole time. He did this for about a half an hour. There were people that were ready to fight yeah. until they saw who they were going to have to fight. Exactly, yeah. There yeah. was other people that laughed with us, but the looks on their faces. I mean, it's a stupid little prank. That's what I love about it. It's so simple, and yet you have these <laughs> fully grown men who play hockey for a living and are there to represent the best of their country just giddy over the fact that someone has bent over to get a $1 bill and, and misses it. That's awesome. So the so that leads to 2003, right? Where we go out to Edmonton for the first Heritage Classic, right? And um, we're, I'm guess with. Well, if we're if before we move on from the Olympics, because I want to say one thing that I remember 
so well about the Salt Lake Olympics. Uh, obviously, Canada won. Right. It was the first time they'd won in a very long time. What I remember most is you came home early oh, from don't those bring Olympics. It up. I still regret this. I in in you know it's there was I think it was what a fifty year drought between yep. Canada winning gold medals and we were sitting there as a family celebrating and you could just you could barely watch the game. Part of you was cheering for Canada to win, and the other part was like, if they win, and I purposely wasn't there, I'll never be. Able I don't to know why I came home. I just got antsy. Well, you know, there's a family that loves you. I don't know what that might mean. Uh, no, but, uh. it had nothing to do with that. <laughs> I was I probably had to get I, prepared to do some That's work. Fair. That's fair. Uh, the next day, and I wanted to, you know, jump all over it if they did win. So it's part, you know, business. But I missed that game. I could yeah. have been at that gold and, medal game and the party afterwards. And the party afterwards. Which, I mean. I would have been invited to, and it was like we, crazy. We mentioned this uh, on an earlier episode, you know, when it was just you and I speaking again about the ways in which watching sports have changed for us, where when a team that we love is doing well, we have to stop drinking. We have to start planning the next day right. because we're thinking now we cannot party with everyone. We need to... Well, meet in the office. That's the not always day. the case. You just come in hungover. That's, that's fair. That's yeah, fair. Yeah. That's fair. So you mentioned though, uh, 2003 in the Heritage Classic. Uh, I believe uh, Wayne Gretzky would have been there that as was, well. And that, that was, was the first Heritage Classic, and they convinced Wayne to put the skates right. back on. Now he had been doing his fantasy camp, so he was still and and still, I'm sure, could outskate most people. But yeah. uh, he hasn't put the skates on for a while. I think since Winnipeg, but he. Uh, he was out there playing in the Heritage Classic. So he set up for uh, Brad and I and some friends and his family, Janet, and the kids were there. Paulina was there. In fact, she sang in the National Anthem or she sang something. I right. think it was the National Anthem right. as well as another song in between games. So they played the alumni game first and then they had an actual NHL game afterwards. And it was freezing. Yeah, like it was sub zero, and I don't know why I thought to do this, but I brought my spider ski suit, like head to toe, so I was toasty. I was fine, <laughs> <laughs> but but I didn't really need it, and I almost didn't bring it because Wayne had set up a private box for us to sit up in. Right, and so it turns out that the private box belonged to Comrie, um, Mike Comrie, uh, not Mike, his oh. dad, who was the who owned the brick. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, and Wayne was good friends with the family and, um, and Mike at the time was, um, was holding out for a new contract, I believe his sure. Mike, Mike Comrie. Right. So the first thing we see when we're walking up is like, we're all sitting there with our hat toques and whatever, but this guy's got a scarf wrapped around his face, walking up through the crowd to get to the private box and. Uh, what was the name of the stadium? It's a big stadium out there. Edmonton's uh, Commonwealth, I think. Okay. So anyway, so Mike, so we're walking up and, and Mike's uh, at the time, he's he's holding out for a new contract and he's not, you know, supposed to be out there. He's like this serious stuff. Yeah. And this guy's walking with us and he's got this scarf wrapped around it, gets up there. It's Mike. Oh. So he's he wants to see the game, but he doesn't want anybody to know he's out enjoying oh, himself. So he game. wrapped his he face He wrapped up. his razor scarf. I mean, it was cold, but it wasn't that cold. Could, could have gotten away with that a lot easier nowadays, right? With the mask on. Right. Now we're up there. and Because um, also Mike Comrie is not a huge guy. No. In fact, he's he's quite short for a hockey player. So if you wrap himself up in, like, maybe it's someone's kid. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. No, 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 yeah, not no. quite like that. <laughs> but... So now we're up in the box um, and the game's going on and about getting close to, uh, I think they had a, one of the periods they had a stoppage in play or, or, or in between. I don't you, know how usually they, set they it up. stop playing during. The no, but I don't know if yeah. they had three periods for that game or it was just a halftime. I can't remember. But for some reason, um, Wayne had asked somebody to bring Janet and the kids down to the ice surface in between at that stoppage well one thing we should mention is that uh this was the first outdoor game yes that was done as you know now we do the winter classic and the stadium series right. et cetera, et cetera. this was so new at the time that right. it would probably he wanted them down there because this was a moment in history right and so and and in the commonwealth stadium uh the gap between the seats and and the ice surface was the ice surface right in the center of the field so there's probably a 20 yard gap before you even get from this where the seats are right to the, to the ice surface. And there was nobody around there, but the players. 
So I said, so somebody said, well, who's going down? Who who, who can take Janet? I said, well, I don't have any uh, passes to get down there. Janet had them all. So somebody said, well, here, they didn't want to do it. I think it was a, an older gentleman that was a friend of Wayne. So he gave me his all all access pass. So I said, oh, I'm happy to take him down. Go right <laughs> down to the ice surface. So I take Janet down. Well, she's, Janet, she's, you know, gorgeous. So she's she's wearing these tight jeans. She's like, very fashionable. Yeah. She's not going to pull. And a bomber jacket. That's right, it. Right. It's like 20 below. Yeah. I'm wearing my spider ski suit, which I had to put all back on. <laughs> You, I look like a snowman. I was going to say the way that you and Janet dress is essentially diametrically opposite. <laughs> There's you that is like, I know we're here. There's going to be photos taken. I am putting on my red and white spider ski jacket, which was cool 20 years ago. And then Janet is saying, I don't care if I'm cold. I'm going to wear what makes yeah. me look good. I think she got pretty cool because she didn't last very long down there. But we took them all down. Wayne had them all on the ice for some photos in between periods. And, um, and, and so... Janet, so I got to get back up and somebody asked me to do, oh, I saw Russ Cortnell there. I turned around and she had already started back with the kids because she knew the route, right? right? So I didn't need to take her back. So I'm looking around and I go, well, what's, you know, stopping me from sitting down here? Because it was a long way away from the box. Right. Right. The box was the last place you want to be to get a good vantage point. Right. Because right. way up high and, you know, you have to... The box is where you want to go if you're holding out with a contract dispute and you don't want to be seen, right? That's <laughs> that's pretty much it. Yeah, it did have its own bathroom, which was great. Ever. So we we uh, so I sat down there and I'm walking around and nobody's kicking me out. So the game starts up again and I go down to the corner where Wayne's shooting against the Montreal alumni, and I'm leaning on the glass. Yeah, opposite me is the camera on this line that's going back and forth. <laughs> And all the other TV cameras that were there. And and I'm sitting there watching the whole last period, leaning on the glass, and nobody kicked me out. And I was the only one along the glass. Like, there was nobody anywhere else except some maintenance guys that were walking around. And I watched the whole third period from that. And the funny part was, uh, a year later, I'm down in the NHL offices. And I didn't know, think anything of it. I'm down in the NHL offices. And I'm uh, waiting to to meet with Gary Bettman or somebody, one of the officials down there, the big shots. You still have the all-access pass no, on no, your no, neck no, at no, this no. point. <laughs> no, it was a different meeting. <laughs> you never meeting. took that thing off, yeah. No. And so, and I'm watching, they got the Heritage Classic on TV, like uh, looped on the yeah, video, right? Yeah. I guess they made a video of it. And I'm watching, and there I am. <laughs> All, every time it passed, I'm, I'm there. Who's that guy leaning on the glass? <laughs> That's amazing. And then after the game was over, uh, walked over, so still hanging out there. And the players all get together. They want photos on the ice. And if you remember, there was a big hoopla about this guy from CBC who was a goofy guy, had a helmet on. He dressed up like yeah. a, 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 an old-timer hockey player with the old helmet and that. And he jumped into the photo. Well, I was on the ice taking photos, too, with with some of the guys I knew, like Russ Cortnall and right. Rain. And and then they stopped to take the photo. And I'm thinking... You're talking about, like, the preeminent photo that the, marked the occasion. Right. It wasn't just people going around No, no. There was a lot of that, yeah. which yeah, I yeah, got yeah. into. Exactly. Yeah. Wayne, Wayne and Russ said, come on out in the ice, take a picture, which was unbelievable. Cool. And so then I sit there and... Uh, and I'm thinking, should I jump into this photo? Like <laughs> nobody was stopping me. Yeah. I could have been the other guy, but I would have taken so much flack. I thought smart enough, and it had been probably a 20 minute, 30 minute time frame since I had my last beer in the, uh, ah. in the <laughs> probably so that it, if I kept drinking, I probably would have been in that photo and maybe lost my NHL license. Over That's that. the thing is, is, you know, high, high stakes, high reward, but high risk as well. You know, you, you, you put yourself in a situation. I've, I've had a few of those where I could have been very close to making some, some, well, nobody decisions. realized that the CBC guy was in all the players were focused in on the camera and that. And then afterwards everybody said, who is that guy in the photo? Yeah. And then they figured it out and he took a big beating over that. My, one. my thing that I uh, find amazing about this story is I, I have such a guilty conscience and I'm so in my head as it stands that if I were in your situation sitting on the glass, while some people would be watching it thinking, wow, I'm so close. This is so cool. Oh, look, the puck's going down the ice. Oh man, they're right against the glass. I would be thinking, 
I really hope no one notices me here. I really hope no one. Like, I wouldn't have been able to enjoy a second of that. Well, there was a little bit of that too. I yeah. think I kept looking side to side, see if anybody was coming for me, kicked me off. Yeah. But yeah. Nobody did. So it was great. I, I actually, so your memory of that night would have been uh, crystal clear. It would have been fine. It was I mean, one of the best memories you probably had. Oh, in terms it just of kept going events. on and on. Mine is from that night is quite the opposite. We don't need to get into it. I was quite young at the time. Uh, I wasn't there. I was, I, don't even believe I was working for Frameworth at the time. I was at a family party in Winnipeg, a get together, right. kind of a family reunion. And that, dear listener, was the first time that I got blackout drunk as a young <laughs> kid. So I don't remember anything about that night. Uh, I, I except for the shame I had the next day in the stern uh, talking to took, I got. Took you had to task over yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Nobody knew did. you were hiding out in the basement drinking. <laughs> Um, they but all it seems to be an Aaronworth family. Yeah, trade. exactly. Now, uh, I mean, that's one tournament. Uh, you know, it, it seems as though you're getting a hand uh, from some of the people who are taking part in the tournament to say, hey, Brian, why don't you come on board? Uh, you know, we know you well enough to not do stupid things like jump in a group photo or something like that. So come along. You know, you're you're not uh, getting in anyone's way. You're not getting in any trouble. Um, what are some of the other ones? I know golf tournaments. Are uh, you know, a you. lot of great stories happen away from the rink that's sure. where that's where the guys relax they can have a few pops and enjoy themselves and tell stories and there's so many of them but um i had a couple of friends at one time i was doing work uh, all the work uh, backup stuff for uh wg authentic right so, and we mentioned mike brown many times yes. he ran wayne's company and we became very good friends and shout out to his son uh, bobby and janelle who are getting married in September. Yeah. So and Alex, who had a, a huge hand in uh, maintaining WGA and especially the Wayne Gretzky Golf Tournament. Right. Yeah. So congratulations to those two. Uh, we'll see in September in September in St. Louis. Nice but time. anyway, um, so a friend of mine, Mike Wilson and um, and uh, Mark Hawkins. Mike Wilson, you'd recognize as the ultimate Leafs fan. Right. He's got the yeah, uh, he notoriously does. the largest collection of Toronto Maple Leafs and just sports yeah and and he has his own podcast too uh ultimate Leafs fan or I think it um look up look up Mike Wilson and you'll Mike Wilson and he does it with uh, Rick Vibe anyway so Mike and and uh, Mark uh, were at this charity auction months before and bought they were doing quite well at the time in the money business and but I think the it was money business yes the, what the, is the money business well, we're in the wrong business right <laughs> Uh, they bought a uh, an opportunity to play golf with Wayne Gretzky. Okay, and I think they paid something like a hundred grand. Wow! At his club in Sherwood, which is an absolute gorgeous right. club. Right. And so they were going down a certain date. So he had phoned me and said, "Can I take some? Do you have any blank jerseys that I can get Wayne to sign for a sure. hundred grand? Wayne's going to sign sure. a few jerseys." And and we should say that that hundred grand is not necessarily going into Wayne's pocket. It's no, no, it was good. It was right? charitable. Not, yeah, it was yeah. it was a prize for charity so anyway hang on hang on, hang on. something just happened with your camera there just, just oh there you go no we're good i'll edit that out so um so it turns out uh the next day uh or so i had arranged a trip down to la to to work with mike uh for some product development and it turns out that it was the day after mike and and mark were there so i said hey i might see you down there i don't know we're you know, I got some business to do with Mike. Well, we talked about Mike before. He didn't like to spend too long in the office before right. he'd want to go play golf. And sure. I always took my clubs to LA. Because, Just in case. Not going to miss out an opportunity to play on Sherwood. Well, it wasn't. We'd play all sorts of courses Mike had contacts with. Sherwood was I, never an option because it was Wayne's private fair, course. Fair. But he said, hey, Wayne just called, um, said, let's go out and play Sherwood. Jesus, Sherwood. Wayne Gretzky play with him so the day before my buddies mike and mark they're playing for a hundred grand i'm playing for free <laughs> so did they ever find out about yeah, that oh yeah because uh, so we ended up seeing him i think down there at some point but anyway so we get there and we get on the first tee now this is sherwood country club so you've got the biggest names in movie and sports they're all there uh, we uh, you know they had George Bush, Jack Nicholas, um, uh, all these guys, these big stars had lockers in there. Sure. And they, a lot of them, uh, Tom Selleck lived on the course. Oh, wow. So when they got together, and golf is a game that you can gamble at. You got your handicap going. You know, I used to play for a few bucks even when I couldn't afford it. So 
these guys are used to playing for big money. So we get to the first tee and we've got a golf cart, which is kind of standard for those type of courses and the two golf carts. And then these two guys come up to each of us and say, well, I'm your caddy. And I said, well, we really don't need a caddy. You know, right. we got the yardage markers. We got golf, a golf, golf cart. cart. What, what are you going to do? So we go up there. We, you know, we, we four caddy for you. So we, they go up in the front and they wait for your shot to come down and they make sure that you can find your ball oh, that's in case amazing. you're in the woods that or something. Amazing. So I thought, okay, well, that's fine. I don't know what I'm going to have to pay these guys because they're a Sherwood <laughs> Country yeah. Club, but I'll figure it out. I hit my shot, the first shot on the first tee, and it's slicing into the woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that go, sounds about Jesus. right. And yep. we've got some money on the line. Yeah. Nothing like these guys play sure. for. Wayne understands. I'm not playing for. So were his, you were you in this? Were you betting against Mike and Wayne, or did Wayne? Well, have Mike his own? was my partner, and Wayne had another partner. Oh, okay, but you guys were betting. Oh yeah, we our team oh, cool. two against two. That's really cool. So. Um, so my ball goes way up and it's slicing into the woods and I, okay, geez, what a way to start. And I get out there and, and I, I, uh, I look for the ball and I'm going into the woods and the cat, so I found it. So oh, that's good. Thank God. Cause that I have to go back to the tee and yeah. hit another one. Yeah. We do play by the, or I do play by the rule. Sure. Well, the ball's right in the fairway. I said, boy, was that a lucky bounce? He said, no, sir. He says, you know, we we kind of want you to win. Oh, what? Said, what? What? It turns out that they all have their four caddies, so they never have a bad lie or a bad shot because and the and it's not like they instruct the guys to do this and they kind of semi know that they're doing it because there's so much money on the line and oh the caddies, if they God. guys win five thousand dollars in a round, their tip's gonna be quite big. Oh my God. I never had a bad lie or shot i mean i might have been in the woods but there was a clear opening right away i through. mean you weren't a bad golfer no by i was any playing stretch, to a seven handicap yeah, at the yeah. time so uh, you know and and it was it was hilarious and every time i went around what we became best friends at caddy and, I, <laughs> and one of the caddies was turns out to be uh just a hilarious guy that wayne loved and would fly him anywhere he played golf uh his name was jimmy and he had Another his issues jimmy. over the time you know uh but Jimmy would find he, if you see him at Pebble Beach, Jimmy will be on the bag and or I, I was last time I, I watched. But that's anyways, amazing. So, it's one of those like, you know, it turns out if you want to get in tight with Wayne, just be funny and be named Jimmy. There's those are the two things that are required. <laughs> like, it's pretty simple. <laughs> well, that was that one. So um, we can switch back. Because there, there was another golf tournament that I've heard you tell a couple stories about. Uh, obviously, the the other great one, not in hockey, but in uh, basketball, would be Michael Jordan. Right. He's had some golf tournaments of his own. I know that you've uh, been around for those tournaments as well, right? Yeah, well, a lot of the stuff we did work for, and, and these are big, expensive tournaments, but I would always, I was such a big, avid golfer that I would contra stuff for it. So sure. Michael Jordan had a big tournament at Lionhead, like major celebrities in it. Uh, and it was a celebrity pro-am. So Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, Clark Gillies, who I ended up yep. playing with great golfer, great guy. Um, and so I would contra. So we had a, a print that we had designed by, uh, a, a caricature of Michael Jordan playing golf, da, da, da. And it was done by Andy Donato, who used to do all the cartoons for the, uh, or the Toronto Sun. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, very well-known artist at the time and still is. He's got some great stuff. So Andy, we commissioned him to do it. And then all the players signed the print, which. Oh, that's cool. I wish I still have. I probably do have one tucked away because Michael signed it. And sure. Everybody, you know, and I think I better look for that. I was going to say, yeah. Um, so anyways, we, we have this tournament and we're in it. But this, as the story goes, so they provided caddies for all the celebrities and they wanted good caddies. So there was a friend of ours or a friend of, uh, I was working with, uh, Labatt at the time and one of their reps, and I can't remember the fellow's name, uh, got assigned to be Charles Barkley's caddy. Now, was he, was he a caddy or was he? No, he was a, he was a scratch golfer. Oh, okay. So, you know, they didn't, Toronto doesn't have a lot of caddies right anymore. It's like, it's not like the, private clubs in sure. the States. Um, but they, you know, when the time comes, they, 
they hire somebody that really knows the game, right. knows the course, and they hired they, they hired this guy. Now, was play. this sorry? Was this something where you, as as a as a part of being a member at the tournament, did, like would you have had to have been a scratch golfer, or he just so happened to be one who could also kind of be? No, a good they caddy? when they were looking for caddies for the celebrities, they wanted to make sure that oh, okay. these guys had a quality so this, this guy on the bag. This wasn't Labatt saying, uh, you know, you've sold X amount. Here's your reward. You're going on. Like he was he was sought out to be a caddy for this. Uh, well, it's kind of a little bit of both. It was, you know, they knew who the great golfers were within the company. They were a sponsor of the tournament. Uh, they were, the, the tournament was looking for caddies. So it's sure, kind of okay, like okay. one hand washes the other. So this, this guy got the caddy for Charles Barkley and he was kind of uh, excited about that young guy, but good golfer. So they get out. Anybody see Charles Barkley ever play golf? He's got the weirdest swing. We've, we've seen him swing clubs. I don't know if you'd call it playing golf. Oh, it's, it's just a, a it's the most bizarre him. swing ever. But he manages to connect. Yeah, yeah. Okay, he's an athlete and he can connect, but he's not a great golfer, but he thinks he is. And he'd be the first to admit that. Anyway, so as the story goes, and I heard this firsthand, he's playing around in the Guy would starts watching his swing and saying, "Okay, uh, how far?" And Charles would say, "How far are we?" And he'd say, "150 yards, sir." And he go, uh, "He just called me Charles." And then he go, uh, "What do you think?" And he says, "Well, I think based on your swing, you need a seven iron." I says, "No, I can hit it with a nine iron." I don't think you can hit it with a nine iron, right? And sure enough, right into the pond, blah blah blah, and it goes on and on for about 12 or 15 holes. And now this guy's getting really frustrated because every time he recommends a club, Barkley just goes, nah, what are you talking about? I can do this. And he hits a shitty shot. Right, right. So finally they get to one hole. I don't know what it is, about 160 yards over the water to the green. And the guy, and he says, what do you think I should have? So why are you asking me? He says, well, what do you think I should have? And he gets a little snooty, Charles. And he goes, well, uh, he says, based on what I've seen, he says, 160 yards, you're probably looking at about a five iron. Don't be ridiculous. He says, I can hit that. Green. Sure enough, he picks his own club with a, a, a nine iron and right into the drink. And the guy looks at and he, and he looks at it and says, what the hell? Barkley's swearing. He's, the other guy looks at him, throws the bag down on the ground and says, you get your own fucking clubs and carry them yourself. He says, I'm walking out of here. And he says this to Charles Barkley. Barkley looks at him and breaks out laughing. He just, he's in hysterics. And he says, what are you doing? He says, I've been telling you every club to use and I've been right every time and you're wrong every time. You don't listen. You don't need me. So carry your, your big guy, carry your own fucking clubs. So, so Barkley, he can't stop laughing. He said, wait, 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 come back here. Come back here. So the guy comes back. He says, what do you want? He says, you carry my bag the rest of the way. Every time you recommend a club, I'll use it. Yeah. Okay. They finish the five or six more holes. They go into the clubhouse and he's still laughing. Barkley's still laughing. He says, come in. You're coming in with me. You're going to have some drinks. He says, well, caddies aren't allowed in the clubhouse. He says, you're coming with me. Nobody's stopping me. So he goes in and he sits down with the guy and they have a few drinks. Long story short, they became best friends. Charles would invite him down to Las Vegas. This guy didn't have a lot of money. He just got married as uh, a few years back. He had some kids, I think. And uh, he'd fly him down to Vegas to just sit and tell him stories. And they were best friends. That's amazing. A couple of years after that, into that relationship, the the guy gets cancer. Oh. And, uh, and I was telling a story to a friend of mine who's bald because we, the, the way this story came up was he says, I try and shave my head. And the first time I did it, I had blood all over the place and I'm walking <laughs> around with all And he says, uh, I said, well, the first time I saw somebody shave their bald head, it was Charles Barkley. And that got me in this story. And it turned out that when he was, when he passed away, the family didn't have a lot of money. Charles ran a golf tournament at Scarborough, which again, I found a way into, and I came into after showering, and there is Charles shaving his, his head. But he came up personally 
to run the golf tournament. I think they raised some big money for this yeah. guy, and he yeah. still support the family. That's the kind of guy Charles Barkley was. I mean, isn't and you that, know because you spent well, the night with him. So in, the, in another the, golf tournament. The common denominator there is that Charles Barkley likes when people talk shit to him. Because I was a dumb kid at a golf tournament. Uh, obviously, had a little bit to drink. Got introduced to Charles Barkley, and uh, and he said something about. I think I told the story on the podcast before. Said something about, "Oh, you're about the same age as my daughter," and I was like, "Well, bring her here. Where is she? Why can't I be talking? I don't want to talk to you." And then he, same thing, laughed, and we sat down and drank together for the rest of the night. And by the rest of the night, I mean into the morning. Uh, you know, he is that kind of guy. I would imagine that someone who is so naturally funny and cocky as Charles Barkley, or, you know, confident, I, I guess, who's constantly having people say yes to him and and kind of kowtow to him. You would imagine that that person kind of thrives on a little bit of conflict. That's funny to them, and they don't get it from anyone because everyone's too afraid of it. And every so often, someone brings that to the table, and it's like, oh, okay, I get it. You don't treat me a certain way because of who I am. You treat me a certain way uh, because you see me as a human being, not as a celebrity sort of. And that goes a very long way. And it's also one of those things with a, a guy like Charles Barkley, and I think this... This goes, you know, we have Wendell Clark on the podcast. We have uh, Doug Gilmore on the podcast. And these guys were known for being like, you know, in Doug's case, a killer on the ice or like a bruiser, Captain Crunch. And yet their personalities are so down to earth and they are so uh, genuine, right? Everyone sees this persona of these athletes and assumes that this is professional wrestling. Like that is who that person is no matter what. And it just isn't the case. And it's great to hear that because, and you know, we, we started off this podcast talking about the ways in which uh, athletes bring their sense of humor off the, off the ice or outside of the court. And uh, it, that is common where, where they're just genuine human beings. And I love hearing these stories because it, it, it almost makes watching sports more difficult because you want to hate certain players for doing certain things. And I remember when uh, we were at the All-Star game once, and I can't—I think it was in Columbus, and uh, obviously big, big Penguins fan, big Leafs fan, so naturally I'm going to uh, despise the Philadelphia Flyers. That's just, it comes with the territory. That's part of sports rivalries. And who was the person you were supposed to hate on the Flyers as a part of a member of another team or a fan of another team? Claude Giroux. You just didn't like, especially if you were a fan of Sidney Crosby, those two butt heads. And I was obviously on Sidney's team. And then I met him by happenstance at one of the, the athlete parties uh, in, in Columbus. And wouldn't you know it? He is the nicest human being. Yeah. And it, pissed me off so much because it's I hard want, to hate a guy you like exactly i want it to be easy just put this person in their place where you are bad so i dislike you you are good so i like you and you meet them and they have a personality and you're like okay sports are more complicated than than i would ever come to realize and you hear those stories all the that's time. interesting because i'm going to add that to my last little thing after the, the next story because um claude Giroux's parents um we met at the world we'll Company. go into it tell t- tell well i i, I want to tell this other story first because um I'll save the best for last, or I think the best for last. So back in the day, I had, uh, uh, when I, I told the story about how I used to, one of my first accounts was Maple Leaf Gardens, yes. and parking right outside and just walking in. And one day I parked outside and looked across the street. And, and Harold Ballard's parking lot right. was, was just the side of the street in front of. Uh, and Maple across Garden. the street, there was a restaurant that went uh, bankrupt and they were releasing it. So I looked at it and we talked about this before. So I decided being... Uh, having some experience when I was younger, owning a bar, building a bar. And I said, okay, that would be a great location for a bar right across from Maple Leaf Garden. So we built this bar called Garduni. Some and, of you may remember. And this this story is great. If you haven't heard this story yet, uh, and you, which it, that probably means you haven't listened to the Doug Gilmore episode of this podcast. It was right, early right. on. You should definitely do that because the story of the beginnings of Maple Leaf Gardens, there was a, a slight involvement by Doug Gilmore in the beginning. He wasn't a partner per se, but no. he was a, a frequenter there as well as Well, he parents. was planning to be, but yeah. then he signed a new contract and it, right. it, it, it was all inclusive for marketing. They considered the restaurant marketing so he had to back out but anyway we have this bar and i'm hanging out there a little bit while i'm running frameworth and then i've got the bar going and one one day i'm there for lunch and in walks and i'm not going to mention names (laughs) um a hockey player and his buddy okay so we sit down and we have a few beers pops and, um, you know what, just cause our guests call them pops doesn't mean you have to call them pops. I've always the called them. Pops. You have never called them pops. <laughs> I call you pops, but you don't call your drinks pops. You say I have some drinks or I have some beers, okay. but listen, if you want to be cool all of a sudden, no, I get no, it. you I... can call me out on that. 
Um, so, so we all sit down together or I, you know, I start, I have a few drinks with them and then I have to, you know, kind of get onto some other things at the bar and, uh, but I keep the drinks coming. And so they're having a few and then it gets after the lunch hour. Cause we used to have a lot of players drop in there after practice, the Leafs in particular, or the opposing team. And so, uh, they, uh, they sit there and they keep drinking. Well, the place empties out except for these two really good looking women. Okay. Okay. What time is this? Why are they there? That's about two thirty. What bar is this? What, these bars don't exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so now the players are looking at the girls, the girls are looking at the guys and the girls come over and they know who the players are or the, the player and his buddy. And so the player that I knew had a girlfriend at the time and the other player, the other guy had a, had a girlfriend. Um, and so, but these two girls were pretty good looking. So okay. they sat there and talked for a while. And then, um, the player in question kept looking at his phone and he was getting calls from his girlfriend, uh-huh. but he wasn't picking up because he's talking to this other girl. And then his girlfriend figured out that he might be at the bar. Right. So he called the bartender, uh, the bar phone and she, she the bartender, the bartender yeah, yeah. picked up and said, is, is my boyfriend there? And the bartender, Oh yeah. He's sitting uh, over in the corner. Yeah, who's he with? Well, he's with his buddy, and she didn't say anything. She's smart enough not to say anything else. Yeah. Okay. So that was the end of the conversation. Now it's around four o'clock, and these guys leave with the girls, and they get into the jeep, and they drive down to where one of the guys was staying, underground garage, and one's in the front with the girl, and the other's in the back with the girl, and they're necking with the girl. Well, it turns out that the girlfriend of the player is sitting outside oh, in the car. Wow. She figured it out. She came down. Wow. She said, and she drives down to the underground lot behind them and catches them in the car oh, together. No. I mean, it was at, so I how, mean, how we can you, laugh about it now, no, I but mean, obviously, at the time it was just horrendous. I mean, in, in, in every situation, I don't think he was hindsight. allowed back in the bar ever again. That's fair. That's fair. Now we're, we're, how did you become aware of this happening? He told me the story. Oh, okay, okay. There you go. Because I said, "How did how'd you make out with those two girls?" He and said, he well, said, "I did. Quite, I did make out with them. <laughs> didn't quite come to fruition." Um, because, wow. anyways, long story short, they stayed together for a while after that. So I don't know. It wasn't that. So maybe she caught him before anything serious happened. Sure, sure. And Whatever. just kind of uh, would have assumed the best. Now you yeah. mentioned uh, uh, Gardunis a few times in in the span of us recording this, and there I feel like we can have an episode specifically dedicated to the stories surrounding that place. Yeah. Uh, no, no stranger to the bar industry before Frameworth, you owned a bar called Hannibal's, where right, where right. you kind of cut your uh, cut your teeth there. Yeah. Um, but you you had mentioned another story that you wanted to get into, and that it had. Had uh, something to do with uh, an earlier conversation we were ha- having. Well, this is funny because uh, the the um, I became pretty good friends over the years with uh, with Sidney Crosby's parents, right? Who are more closer to my age, even though I'm older than they are, and uh, and uh, Jonathan Taves' parents. We just kind of hit it off through various things that we've met and, and had some fun together, and um, a lot of things in common. Um, and, you know, just a little sidetrack. So we were talking about Claude Giroux's yes, um, yes. relationship with Sydney, and it was pretty um, contentious contentious at the beginning anyways. I think they're okay now to be together. But there was Philly and Pittsburgh yep. was a natural yep. rivalry. But um, I think it was a 2014 World Cup. Or was it 16? One of the two. The, the, right, right. And everybody's staying down at the Harbor Castle, and um, we'd meet there before the game, walk over to the game, and then, because it was all at Maple Leaf Gardens or the Air Canada Center, whatever it was at the time. Yeah, and then been, uh, it was it was 2016, the World Cup of Hockey. Right, yeah. okay. So now we go back afterwards, and we're meeting, and and I see uh, Troy and Trina Crosby and, uh, and Brian and uh, Andre uh, Taves, or Andre Gilbert, his mom, it's called, and then uh, there's another couple there, and it, or another two women, and it was, I think it was Claude Giroux's mother and aunt or something. Okay, so so we're all sitting there talking, 
And I'm, I'm saying, Jesus, the Crosbys are talking to the Drews and what's going on there. <laughs> and, and they were, they, they were all getting along really well. So that was an interesting thing. And, and Did, actually I was sitting with the Crosbys the night before, before, and the Taves came in. So they didn't know each other well. Oh, so I okay. kind of, they knew each other and they had seen each other at tournaments, but I liked them both. So they sat together and they, we all just hit it off. Right. My wife, Lori and your mom. And, uh, and so through that tournament, we all got together and had a lot of laughs. And of course, team Canada won and they were both saying, um, Andre Gilbert, John's mom, Jonathan's mom said, uh, we started talking about cruise ships and my wife, Lori and I love to go on cruises. We right. go on quite a few of them. Uh, I just think it's the greatest thing. And we talk about it. We send them pictures, the other guy's pictures. And she said, we got to go on a cruise. I've never been on a cruise right. sometime. And, and, uh, Troy and Trina said, well, if you go, we'll go. Cause Trina isn't, isn't big on boats. Sure. She lives in Halifax or Coal Harbor on the water, but she's not big on boats. Yep. yep. I mean, it is it is kind of a lot to ask of someone who isn't an enormous fan of cruising in the first place to confine yourself to the middle of the ocean on a boat. Like the concept of that is a little bit terrifying to some people. I can I can see that. Well, exactly. And and one, she's not that big just on boats in general. So now she's going to get on a cruise ship, but she sees the pictures and it looks really inviting. Now, we Lori and I have evolved from younger days so we're going on nicer cruise ships and spending more, spending some yeah, money spending on a little bit more money and, yeah, on them yeah. to get the right ship etc because it's all about the ships and you know you've got to if you're bringing you know uh, uh the parents of hockey players who are probably used to accommodate i mean you you think oh. about the accommodations that they were in just in the in the uh the hotel lobbies at the the world cup of hockey right there's a certain standard that's being set and a vacation wouldn't be a vacation we'll say a minimal standard anyway sure, sure. so they keep insisting that we should all go on a cruise together. I know all about the cruises, so can let's arrange a cruise. The Taves, the Crosbys, myself, and another good friend of the Crosbys, a couple, uh, Mike and Charlene. So we end up deciding to, so they want to go, but they want to test it. And Sid's mom is not that big on a lot. She just wants to test it. Sure. So I only want to go on a four-day cruise. Well, I said, geez, I don't know. Caribbean is really nice, but a four-day cruise really limits the kind of cruise ships we can right, go on. Right. So I keep telling them, I'm not sure. I mean, the only ones I can find are like carnival cruises. I said, that really, I mean, it's a party ship, yes, but it's not the highest standard ship. And it's I more, know, it's, it feels like it's for a younger demographic whose, whose goal is to party more so than... Party, but even the ship. And, and the ships that they leave for those four-day cruises are probably the lower end of their cruise right. line. Right. Well, right? they don't have to deal with the open water quite right. as much, so they don't have to be as large. They're only going from, from uh, Cape Canaveral or whatever they call it now over to... Over to uh, Nassau right. and then one other and some some private island and back. They only have four days. So I kept telling them, geez, you're not going to get a very good, well, get the best uh, cabins that you can get. Sure, sure. Like, I'm trying to convince them you don't want to do this, but if because you're going to get a bad impression, you're never going to want to go on right. a cruise again. And I'm telling them this. Okay. Now we get down there. Uh, we're there the night before, probably the best part of the trip. We get on the cruise ship. And this thing is a dump. Oh, no. Oh, it's, the, oh, it's no. the worst ship I had been on in years. Oh, no. It hasn't been refurbished in years. We did get some nice suites. I got made sure they got nice suites, and I got a really good deal on it. And uh, and so we're all on this cruise ship for four days. Starts out. It's kind of rainy. <laughs> oh, right. Of course. Of course get, it's going to be. We And then we get there, and then we all meet for dinner, and it's not that great and the weather is kind of cool the next day and we're heading over to nassau and i see troy and trina there with a sweater on it's kind of overcast and we sit down next to them and say how are you enjoying it so far and they give me the roll their eyes this is cruising right <laughs> on top of that there had to be 200 kids on a on a school trip oh, no. from brazil just like 14 to 16 year olds running around making noise. It was just the most horrendous trip. Oh, we no. get into NASA. My, they like 
good cigars. My wife had a friend that said, I got a place that you can get cigars at that yeah. are really good. So we believe the guy. So we go there to get some cigars and turns out they're knockoff cigars oh, that we paid no. top dollar for. No. This was the most horrendous trip that you could go on a cruise ship. Now, we still had fun. You you make what you can yeah, of it. And, sure. and they're great people, the Crosbys and the Taves and the Surrettes. So we had so much fun under the conditions. Yes. I never live it down. They're blaming me. I warned them time and time again. You don't want to go on this ship. And and they said, no, no, four days is fine. They'll say, they'll have a different perspective on right. it. That's my perspective. They, so we put together a birthday video for you uh, for your 65th birthday, uh, which happened earlier this summer. And the Crosbys sent in a uh, a, a video to, to say happy birthday. And even in that video, they mentioned like, hopefully we see you again soon. Hopefully it's not on a cruise ship of your choosing. <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing. It's just, it's just one one thing after another. That, that that's just step one of those trips. And yeah. then uh, the, the other one would have been, and I'll save for another time, was the, our trip to Italy. Well, I think based on this one, I think we're going to have a lot of success. Those were a lot of uh, great stories. And, I, and I, I know that you've got a ton more. I know I could jump in with a few more as well. But I love this uh, process of just kind of exploring the lighter side of the world of sports marketing. Not so business oriented, but I think every so often we need well, to step back and I, I will say this is that when you have that personal relationship you have a chance of screwing up your business side of it that's true <laughs> you if you if you if i got him on a two-week cruise on that ship oh right we'd never be handling sydney crosby yeah. or jonathan maybe, maybe sydney goes to upper deck or something like that as a result of it because the upper deck of your cruise ship hadn't been refurbished in a while exactly. wow that's, uh, so that's uh i i love i love that so much uh thank you for sharing those and hey if you're out there and you have any questions about uh what these events are like or you want to hear some more stories oriented towards i don't know the all-star games or specific tournaments or things like that Feel free to send us an email, signoffpod at framework.com. Once again, make sure you check out the Suspendables podcast with Jim Jerome. Subscribe to that. Make sure you're subscribed to uh, this podcast as well, the sign-off. Take screenshots of an email at to that same email address, signoffpod at framework.com, to be entered in a draw for a chance to win a signed Mitch Marner jersey and a signed Sidney Crosby jersey. Two separate prizes, only one of each, and they'll be given out at random to one of the subscribers who who uh, takes part in this competition. So, uh, Dad, thanks again for uh, sharing all those fun. stories. That was a lot of fun. We'll do this again soon. If you have any uh, recommendations of stories or different elements and avenues of discussion, feel free to send those to us. Uh, but without uh, extending this too much, uh, that is it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Brian Aaronworth, president of Framework Sports Marketing. I'm Mike Aaronworth, host of the Sign Off Podcast, and this is us signing off. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching The Sign Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Frameworth Sport or Instagram at Frameworth Sports. And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at at Retrograde Mikey, or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram at Aaronworth. The Sign Off is a proud product of Fadu Productions and Sad Styles Productions, executive producers, Mikey Aaronworth and Andrew Bascom. Until next week, this is Mikey Aaronworth signing off. Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it!